Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. There is a contradiction at the heart of what Dutton's doing in that he is trying to give corporates and the corporate elites a bloody nose over anything to do with identity politics, whether it's Australia Day or supporting The Voice. But he's also supporting their economic interest to the hilt. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia, coming to you from the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples. Today, we're talking about the latest Guardian Essential poll with Peter Lewis, the Executive Director of Essential Media. Hello, Peter. Hey, Paul. Now, the poll has delivered a landmark uh, result this week. We don't love the horse race uh, aspect of who's leading, um, because that can be a, a misleading way to think about politics, especially when people only get to cast a vote once every three years. But it is significant, I thought, that in this poll, for the first time since the 2022 election, uh, voters have put the coalition narrowly ahead of Labor. And this has come after, you know, an increase in Peter Dutton's approval that has sort of bridged the the likability gap between um, him and the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. So let's dig into it, starting first with the the party vote, and then we'll chat a bit about the leaders. What did the poll find in in terms of primary and two-party preferred vote? Yeah, well, as you said, Paul, it's the first time since the election that the horse race would have the coalition ahead. Um, On primary, on raw primary, they've been ahead since October, but with Labor and Green votes combined, it has meant that the Labor's remained ahead on what we call two-party preferred plus. That's because we leave the don't knows in. Um, Interesting, just a really interesting sidebar, like normally that was like eight to 10% undecided. It's as low as four at the moment, which makes me think that people are at least engaging in a view of politics, which I imagine is also linked to the fact that there are material pressures linked to cost of living that sort of heightens the mind. The other thing I'll say just as a precursor to this is that governments being behind oppositions is nothing new. We will remember that I think it's true to say both Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull were behind for 30 news polls each, which used to come out fortnightly. So they were behind 
in terms of the horse race for well over a year. So this is a very marginal, and I don't know why I'm softening it, but it's 48 coalition, 47 Labor, 4% undecided. In the horse race, it is a very, very short nose. But we are, if we think about, I don't know, if you think about the Melbourne Cup, we're kind of starting the second lap. So there is a lot of racing, if we are going to torture that metaphor, to go before we get within sight of the winner's post. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily uh, panic stations because, as you point out, oppositions often lead in the middle of the cycle and buy a lot more than this. So there is uh, one reading of these numbers that says, well, if you're only one point ahead after, you know, 13 interest rate rises... (laughs) Um, when it's, you know, one of the darker moments for the Albanese government, then that's that's not terribly good. But, you know, then again, there is a by-election coming up uh, this Saturday in Dunkley. And if the average swing against governments uh, at a by-election is replicated there, Labor might lose a seat. So that is, that is concerning for them. Absolutely. And, you know, I do think in difficult economic times, incumbency may not be the the advantage that it is in better times. So there's less money to discretionary spend because you're trying to run a tight fiscal policy. There's obviously a lot of drivers of people's living pressures, including grocery prices, power prices, um, housing that the government is being expected to fix. So the challenge... <laughs> It's not a challenge. It's the gauntlets, really, on the government to to be showing the policies that they are promoting are delivering materially for the people who are going to be deciding whether they stay their government. But the other interesting thing, and I don't want to ask myself the question, but Peter Dutton is the other bit that I think is really interesting and I've written about in this week's Guardian column. His numbers are improving incrementally, albeit... But he's gone from, you know, a low point of 36 approval up to 40% either side of Christmas. His disapproval is still about the same, but he's actually net, he's net negative three, Albanese's net negative four. For most people on the progressive side, the idea that Dutton would be matching Albanese is kind of almost unthinkable, but here we are. He is setting up a base where he at least can make a credible play in the lead up to next election, I reckon. And what's the foundation of that? Queensland blokes and over 55s? Yeah, but also the protest vote. And while I think those on the progressive side would see him as being totally unelectable and totally repulsive to all their political sensibilities. For swing voters, they're just two guys. Um, One's got a bit more hair than the other. One's a bit more dour than the other. I I, I just think that we can get seduced into thinking opposition leaders are unelectable because their, their character and their value set doesn't align with ours. And I was thinking about the history of successful opposition leaders. And they tend to be those that do get dismissed as being totally unelectable. So little little Johnny Howard was totally unelectable when he was up against the majesty of Paul Keating. The mad monk was way too crazy to ever be prime minister, but they're the ones that win. Um, The ones that get beaten are the ones where the time is taken to actually understand how that character links to the way they're approaching policy and sort of attacking them on the things that they're going to do, not 
the fact that they've got a face that only a mother could love. Well, you, you did ask uh, some questions about uh, individual characteristics, um, to what extent respondents would describe each of the leaders as you know, trustworthy, narrow-minded, out of touch. I thought the big standout was uh, the biggest gap between them was aggression. 50% said that Dutton was aggressive and only 29% said that of Anthony Albanese. So that there must be some people out there that think, oh, well, aggressive is good and he's, he's, doing, he's doing his job. Keating was aggressive. Characteristics can be positives or negatives. I think one of the criticisms of Albanese is that he is a decent guy, but he's not having an impact, like he's not having an effect on cost of living. Um, Maybe if he was more aggressive at doing that, he would be more successful. So Dutton, I think, because he's a knee-jerk conservative, he's seen as being decisive and aggressive. And Maybe there's an opportunity for um, his side of politics to package that up. It's definitely a point of difference. You're right. On all the others, they're both seen as playing politics. They're both basically seen as being out of touch with ordinary people. Albanese started, had a drop because he had been seen as being more trustworthy than most politicians. And so the two indicators were Albanese's dropped is trustworthy and changes his opinion depending on who he thinks is listening. So I think that's quite interesting because that's kind of the broken promise on stage tree tax attack and maybe that's suggesting there's been a little bit of purchase there. Yeah, so uh, Albanese, a little over a third, 37%, said that they would describe him as trustworthy and that's down 15 points since March 2023, and almost two-thirds, 65%, said that he changes his opinion depending on who he thinks is listening, which is up 11 points. Um, Do you think that those are um, a steady decline coming off the the prime ministerial honeymoon, or or, or can we know whether that was precipitated by more recent events? I think those character traits, like we're not offering it, but these are not weekly polls. I think we jump into this sort of once every 12 months. So it could be a gradual decline. I do think that is probably the point, you know, the calculated decision to jettison the regressive stage three tax cuts, which was portrayed as the broken promise it was, is actually particularly with those sort of older, more Queenslandy people working really well. Um, but not just those. So that's sort of more general across different, you know, gender lines and age lines as well. But I still think that Albanese is now, well, obviously a more formed political figure. Dutton is still a work in progress. And I think what's interesting is that the levels of don't knows on the characters are very high with Dutton and also with Dutton in relation to Albanese. So I still think there's a lot of fleshing out of his character that could either be done by his side or by the Labor side, depending who um, plays it the smartest. Mm. And while they were uh, neck and neck in many of those uh, those qualities that you put to people, there was still a, a slight prime ministerial edge on the less conventional uh, <laughs> metrics of popularity. Uh, you asked people things like, you know, who you'd rather have a beer with, who would stop to help you if your car was stranded, who you'd most like to have babysit your children. What did you find there? So the origin of these indicators, it goes back to Turnbull versus Shorten because it was really hard to get a handle because it 
on one level seemed such a mismatch, but Bill kept being reasonably close in the polls. And when we did it with him, people... It was interesting. Everyone wanted to get financial advice off Malcolm, but they thought Bill would lend them a hundred bucks if they needed it. And it kind of became a bit revealing. So the two outliers on this is people are much more likely to go to Dutton for financial advice rather than Albanese, but much more likely to have Albanese babysit their children than Dutton. And I don't even know what to do with that information, except there it is. But most of the others, it was kind of pretty, pretty similar. Um, Oh, 35, 27, um, Albanese more likely to stop and help you if your car was stranded. So that's good to know as well. This is your uh, mummy and daddy uh, theory, isn't it? That some of these are, you know, caring, uh, good Samaritan uh, type things and another one is the sort of hard-nosed, uh, mm. you know, who, who would you get yeah. financial advice from? Annabelle Crabb would love to know that Albo's slightly more likely to be someone you'd want to have over for dinner, 31-27. But, yeah, a lot of them, again, most of the people say unsure or no difference. So, in a way, it's a bit of fun with only limited insight except when there is those outliers like um, lock up your children. Now, we know that favourability for Dutton has been creeping up, but is that because people approve of particular decisions that he's uh, made as opposition leader? Um, And what what did you find there? So we had a couple of questions. The first is we asked people whether they thought that the LNP had changed um, since Dutton became leader. Only 25% say they have. Most think it's either the same or got worse. 25% change for the better, obviously. Unsurprisingly, um, that is largely people who do intend to vote for them in the 40s. Although, you know, there's a large number of progressive voters who also would say, yeah, they're better than they were, which is a low barrier. But anyway, so it's hard in opposition because you're defined by positions you take rather than things you do. But campaigned against The Voice, 44% support, 28% opposition, given 60% actually voted no, that's hardly surprising. That's seen as something people largely approve of. They also approve of his decision to support Labor's revised stage three tax cuts, i.e. to not die on that hill, even though the Liberal model was unwound. The others are all kind of 30, 30, 30, you know, the third unsure, third positive, third negative. And the ones we tested was he's called for Australians to boycott Woolworths over his decision not to sell Australian Day merch. That was 34 support, 27 opposed, 31 unsure, opposing the renewable targets, 33% support and opposing workplace laws, 30% support and 35% opposed. So the picture you build out there is, I think, twofold. One is he's nothing is really getting mass purchase and there is a bit of a contradiction in his policies as well from the sort of Trumpy anti-corporate to the more traditional liberal economic position of opposing workers' rights. And so if you're if you're the libs, you're still probably looking for that sweet spot, although a couple of further questions might give us a bit of a clue where that may be. If you're with Labor, it's just you're saying that he's throwing things out there and seeing what sticks and, you know, one thing stuck, which was voice, and then he just needs another thing to stick and then two points make a line. Mm. The... 
the the one decision that people didn't favour was that opposing more rights for casuals, labour hire and gig workers, um, 35 opposed and 30 in favour. I think it's interesting that uh, Peter Dutton vowed uh, when the latest IR bill went through to repeal uh, mm. the right to disconnect and Labor has now started using this line that um, Dutton wants you to work longer for less. That's their standard question time Dorothy mm. Dixer uh, attack. So I think they think they're onto something there. Well, it's important though because there is a contradiction at the heart of what Dutton's doing in that he is trying to give corporates and the corporate elites a bloody nose over anything to do with identity politics, whether it's Australia Day or supporting The Voice. But he's also supporting their economic interest to the hilt with the workplace. And I think if Labor doesn't do that, then Dutton's strategy is clearly to come around and be the cultural Trumpy, the way to drain the, the swamp is to get rid of the government of the day and all the woke corporate elites, but it's hard to do that when you're backing them in to the hilt on their um, workplace agendas. Yeah, although he would frame it as trying to help a small business constituency that are already tied up in red tape and they, they can't really offer those people, you know, returning to work choices or whatever because that would be uh, electoral suicide, but they can offer to uh, knock off a right that you know, was, was created with just a few a few weeks' notice um, and not something that was a major election issue like the right to disconnect. Mm. The other th- reason I think Labor is hammering that wor- work longer for less is that they do have an advantage uh, in the perception of which party is better in handling wages and getting people a wage rise. What, what did you find on the issue by issue, how people rated the parties? Yeah, so head-to-head on issues, I think the standouts here is Labor's ahead 41-28 on supporting higher wages and better working conditions, although there's still 32% of people that don't have a view on that, um, which means that that message may not be getting through as deeply as it could. Their line ball on international relations that benefit Australia. That's surprising given how successful the reset with China has gone. Indeed. They have got, not got credit for that by the looks. Yeah. Um, the Libs are now ahead on reducing cost of living pressures. Um, up until Major before concern, Christmas, yeah. they were behind. So it's 32-28. 39 undecided. So on all these, it's a lot of voters and probably the lower information voters that are totally up for grabs. Addressing climate change, it's 31-23 to Labor, with 46% saying no difference, which, again, given the differences, in, you'd, again, be worried if you were Labor because, as we know, the Libs are trying to run an insurgency against the renewable rollout. Um, there'll be inevitably a push to slow everything down while they think about modular nuclear, if not... Um, you know, trash the targets altogether. So on an area where Labor's policy is demonstrably more serious, they're not reaping a huge political dividend there. And then over the horizon, late last minute comes the, is it the sleeper or is it just a, you know, a diversion? But um, we had to throw it in there because it worked so well from the past, keeping Australia's borders secure, 41-23, almost a mirror image of the work laws. Um, So coalition seen as being the better party. Now, we can go into the the facts about what is driving the border secure story, if you like, but in terms of the perception, it is still a blue sweet spot, Paul. 
Mm. And, you know, Labor is saying they're not panicking, uh, that they don't think that this is the most important issue uh, for voters. But I was surprised to see uh, just how many people had clocked mm. the boat arrival um, of a week and a half ago uh, in Western Australia. That was two-thirds of people were aware of that. And then a little less, uh, 61% were aware of the releases from immigration detention as a result of the High Court decision that indefinite detention is unlawful. I guess that's less surprising because that's been a political issue since November, but that's still a a big proportion of people, a majority of people that are aware of that. And massive take up with older voters, the over 55s, the awareness is like in the 80s, younger people closer to 40. And then we put three statements and we're really testing statements of the coalition. We're not advocating those positions, but we were testing how well they land. The government is moving too slowly to place former detainees back in detention. Overall, you have got 59% supporting that statement, but with the over 55s, it's like 80. It's like a Mark McGowan rating back in the day. Um, 60% Australia does not have suitable policies to deal with asylum seekers. So 51% the Albanese government is losing control of its borders. So obviously that has worked to an extent because there is something happening and I don't think people are saying the borders are going to become porous again. But the thing I would say is that the other reason this thing works is that it's traditionally border protection has been a proxy for economic protection. So it became a big issue at the turn of the century. We sound old now saying that, but it is 23 years ago. So 2001, border panic was actually linked to... um, a growing sense of insecurity about global trade and a Liberal government who couldn't um, who couldn't do anything about international trade because they'd opened up the borders to free trade, had the idea of doing symbolic broader protection. And I think it still sends that signal that Australia does have borders when that battle is being run. And I'm not saying it's going to define the... Um, I'm not saying it's going to work, but you can see why they're giving it a crack with those numbers, right? Mm. One policy issue that Labor is playing tough on is doxing laws, even though I think it's still very unclear exactly uh, what they're going to be criminalising. You you had a stab at uh, finding out whether people yeah. support this crackdown. What what did you tell people and what did you find out about their, their appetite for yeah, it? Yeah, so we tried to explain it in simple words. The federal government is intending to make the public release of personally identified data, phone numbers, addresses, social media with malicious intent, a criminal offence. I think they're also trying to create um, a right to sue for misuse. That offence is known as doxing and then support for that would be 41 strongly support, 21 somewhat support. It's kind of that general vibe with tech, something must be done. But I think the context of this is if you in a broader sense, ask people, how concerned are you with the amount of personal information being held by digital platforms, corporations and the government? It's 60% to 70%, you know. So this is kind of a, there is a big problem that most people, the vast majority of people are really concerned about their personal information now being held by all these weird and wonderful organisations who do not have any responsibility to use it in their interests. 
And so when a specific output of that lack of regulation is put in front of them, they do support it. But we've also found they support privacy laws, as you and I have spoken about in the past. Privacy laws are currently working their way incrementally, snail pace through the system for the first major upgrade in 40 years. And I think the interesting thing about doxing is it kind of fast tracks the bit about liability around misuse of data. So potentially this is a front ending of some of the other debates we'll be having later this year. We'll see if it falls in the screaming heap when there is some actual detail mm. about what will be what will be banned. Um, last one, following uh, the Barnaby Joyce planter box incident on Lonsdale Street, Braddon, and Perrin Davey uh, appearing to slur her words in a Senate committee hearing after two drinks, which uh, she has attributed to have a medical issue. You ask people uh, about drug and alcohol testing in Parliament. Randomly. Randomly. What did what did you find? Well, I think 76% support. Um, it's in a lot of other industries now. You drive a train, you have random drug testing. Drive a car, random drug testing. Drive a country. Mm, I don't know. Will it ruin your social life, Paul? Oh, no, I, I don't think so. There's not as much drinking in Parliament as there used to be, and I think that's a good thing. Last time we had this debate, it was uh, when they were going to drug test welfare recipients, and I think that Jackie Lambie turned that back on, on the coalition government by saying, oh, well, shouldn't we be doing this too? Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see if... I, I don't think it'll... The Prime Minister isn't in favour of it. He says the accountability of the ballot box, but um, obviously it's it's there for the taking, a populist policy uh, mm. there, there to be taken up. And, and, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, I, I almost feel that a lot of the way that Parliament comes across, it does all seem too part, part shot. You know, everything's exaggerated, everything's distorted, you know, everything's bigger than it needs to be and maybe, you know, sobering up would be good for everyone involved. Hmm. Well, I hope uh, people have enjoyed this episode uh, without any chemical assistance uh, in the the drug and alcohol form. I hope you've enjoyed our sober analysis uh, in this episode. Thanks so much for joining us, Peter. All I can say is cheers, Paul. This episode was produced by Daniel Simo and Alison Chan. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. I'm Paul Karp. Thanks for listening. We'll have another episode of Australian Politics for you on Sunday. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.